Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of the Just on the Suffering Podcast with New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fam. Your host, Mike Phillips. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. You celebrate. Happy holiday season here. We are going to have some fun this week on the podcast. We're going to continue our uh, sort of holiday traditions here. We're going to do the year review clip show. We're going to be joined by Pete Constantine, my co-host from the Sky Guys podcast. We're going to get to some of the highlights of the year in the podcast in just a bit. That's going to come up with Pete. Also do our Week 17 NFL picks. I'm going to be joined by good friend of mine, Joey Castellano, Viking fan. is Vikings and playing an elimination game against the Packers on Sunday night on New Year's Eve. So talk about all that in just a bit. Also, we'll go ahead to the two-minute drill look ahead, and we're going to preview the college football playoff semifinals on New Year's Day. We're going to have the Michigan-Alabama matchup first, followed by Washington and Texas. Those are the two matchups on tap. I'll give you my thoughts on those games coming up as well. You're going to hear the Just on the Suffering podcast. Feel free to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering or Fairway Podcast platforms. You can find episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and starting as well. It might help make the podcast even better going forward. Check out the YouTube yep. video versions of the conversations with uh, Pete and Joey Castellano up on YouTube. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. We're going to reset... The young Shinobu Yamamoto fall after he spurned both New York teams prior to the Christmas holiday. That is going to come up here right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. Right, opening tip time here, and the Yoshinobu Yamamoto speaks, as I mentioned earlier, came to an end, I think, right before Christmas. I'd say Thursday 21st, he sort of signed. Friday 22nd, there was, I forget when it was, it was very late in the night. Both New York teams went up with coal in their stocking here. After Yamamoto signed with the LA Dodgers for 12 years, $325 million. The same exact terms the Mets offered. Yankees offered him $300 million over that time span. But not surprised. Apparently, he the Dodger pitch of playing with Otani on the West Coast was very enticing to Yamamoto here. There are major ramifications for both New York teams coming out of this situation here. The Met offseason was really centered on Yoshinobu Yamamoto. They went all in on him since he fit their plan to compete in 2024 and win beyond that because he's 25 years old. He could have been a long-term fixture here. The Mets went all the extra mile here. I mean, Steve Cohen and Dave Stern flew to Japan to meet him. They brought Yamamoto to dinner. They basically wine and dined into their best. They made the matching offer here, but he wanted to go to LA. He took the Met offer, went to the Dodgers and said, match this, I'm coming. They did. That's sort of what happened here. That was an outlier from the Mets this offseason, though. Remember in the years past when the Mets would get angry after they missed out on a guy and go spend big money? Remember 2021 when they missed out on Steven Matz and they went out and signed Max Scherzer and a bunch of dudes? Last year they gave money to Justin Verlander. Uh, they tried getting Correa a huge contract. Steve Cohen has basically said that they're not going to pivot and throw big money at guys right away. He said in the New York Post that 
we tried our hardest. We put our effort in here, but life goes on, and we're not going to make big headlines next week. So if you're hoping for Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery, you're not getting them unless the market craves and they're coming to reasonable values here. The Mets sort of know that, like, they can spend a lot of money, but spending a lot of money does have issues where, like, if you're stacking a bunch of long-term contracts on here, do it for the right guys because if they are not the right guys, you're going to be wasting a lot of money having dead money pile up on your on your uh, payroll here that's going to be useless down the line. And giving Blake Snell a ton of money when he throws at most five innings, throwing Jordan Montgomery a ton of money when he's a middle rotation star, giving him like a six-year contract, that seems like lunacy. And these are guys who are in their 30s right now. And if you take them to their word that 2024 is sort of a pivot year, they're going to try and compete for the wild card. And if you're winning 25, 26 is more likely a World Series window. These guys are going to be 33, 34 by the time you get there. So not worth giving them money at this point. The Mets are going to try and fill their holes on shorter-term deals. Or, as I mentioned earlier, the value guys who meet their price, knowing that they can try getting to, say, 84 or 85 wins like the Diamondbacks did, sneak in the playoffs of the wild card and see what happens. The guys get the one-year deals play well, and the Mets are not in contention, which is certainly possible because we saw things went wrong last year. Mets can flip some of those guys for more chips to improve their farm system. The 2025 free agent class is stacked with starting pitching. There is a lot of it out there. I mean, let's look ahead here at some of the guys who could be free agents after 2025. And you tell me if you would rather give the money to Snell and Montgomery or one of these guys. So 2025 free agent starting pitching. There is a lot of ace material out here. Again, this is the start of the window where the Mets are saying, okay, we're going to try and win like a World Series window starting in 25. Here are some of the bigger names on that board here. I'm not counting Garrett Cole because he, he's going to probably opt out, have the Yankees opt on another year, give him more money. Some of the other guys in the sport here. Zach Wheeler, former Met, going to be a huge like contract here. He's going to probably play this out here. You have... Uh, Obviously, some more big names on this board. We've seen a lot of guys here. Shane Bieber, Corbin Burns, two guys who are big market guys, smaller guys they have to test in the market. Walker Bueller with the Dodgers going to hit the market here. There's a lot of huge names on the fridging board here. You, The Mets, you keep your powder dry. You make a big run at one of those guys. That would be certainly nice. Plus, Juan Soto is definitely be a free agent next year. Yankees, are, no, he's only going to be a one-year guy. Juan Soto wants the most money. Expect the Mets to throw a ton of money at Juan Soto if they feel like he could be a big fit for their lineup here. And there's no reason why they shouldn't. The Yankees, on the other hand, more interesting spot because they are clearly all in on trying to win this year. The only one you're guaranteed to have Juan Soto if you're a Yankee fan. But they did not go the extra mile to get Yamamoto. John Hayden reported the Yankees set a price on him at $300 million. But we're not actually because they felt it was a fair price. And I do admit it is a lot of money for guys who never pitched in the bigs before. And they didn't want to pay him more than Garrett Cole's sign of respect, which I do not understand. Garrett Cole's a union guy. He welcome a higher paid guy up boost the cause. Plus, if you're the Yankees, you can say, hey, Garrett, we'll give you some more money here to make you a higher pay than Yamamoto if he comes. So that's very strange he didn't do that. The Yankees also need more pitching because beyond Cole and Carlos Rodon, who stunk in 2023, by the way, there's not much in the cupboard. Luis Severino is a Met. Nestor Cortez coming off a ton of injuries. He already had one great year so far in his career. Clark Schmidt starting the bullpen for the rotation. Right now, he's the number four guy. Michael King's in San Diego. Domingo Herman is gone. Yeah, he's straight away a couple of their other fill-in guys. Johnny Brio, Randy Vasquez, and that Soto deal. Not a lot of depth behind that top two. And you have questions about Rodone, whether he's going to end up panning out here. 
the big question of the Yankees here, how much do you want to invest in your starting rotation? Do you make a play for one of the big guys, for Snell and Montgomery? I know there's rumors they're a reunion with Montgomery. How much money do you want to give him? You build more depth in the bullpen and add a guy like Frankie Montas back. Because remember, Montas rehabbed all year, wanted to come back here, and he's still on the market. So I could see the Yankees saying, hey, here's a one-year prove a deal, and here's a team option if you want to be part of the situation here. Montas would help give you depth at the back end. I don't know if they're going to go full on into the deep end of the pool with the Snell-Montgomery thing, depending on the market goes, but they could definitely be in play for stuff like that. We'll keep an eye on the uh, New York teams here and see what they do going forward in the offseason. But up next, we're going to take a look here back at the year that was in the podcast with Pete Considori right after this. And once again, we're gonna, this is going to be a little one, fun one. So buckle up and enjoy the ride here. All right, we are back here on the podcast. You're just in the suffering Going through the year in review, we're going to go back to some of the most memorable moments from the 20 year in podcasting here. Joining me today on the podcast, my great co-host from the Sky Guys podcast, Pete Constantori is here. Pete, how are you? Doing well. I think this is the first time I'm doing this with you, the uh, the year in uh, year in review on the Just and the Suffering. Yeah. We've done the year in review for, for uh, Star Wars before, but this is exciting. I'm excited to talk about some other stuff other than Star Wars and excited to, to spend the, the time with you here in the in the podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since you come over the mothership aside from the Sky Guys crossover. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the last time I was on the the flagship here was uh, what back when when we were recording at Iona. Uh, I think we've got a hook. I think what's through his office is no holy moly this year because that was usually like our go to. All right. Holy moly was on the regular Just in the Suffering, which they haven't been renewed, renewed yet, which I can't understand why. I, I, I thought that show was great, but the I, ratings probably were not. The greatest for them to renew it. So might, might be more we'll see if it comes back. Might be more expensive than they were hoping for in terms of. Oh like, hell yeah! There was so much shit that they had to build and produce up. I mean, it's they had a good what was it four seasons? They took a couple seasons off Hulu, which makes me a little interested as to why. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, no, I mean that's that's true. I totally forgot we used to do the holy moly stuff. Yeah, I think they might be dead. Unfortunately, it's it's probably that. I mean, it's it's very unfortunate. I thought it was a great show. Um, but it's probably very niche and very expensive to make, right? So, I mean, I don't blame them for not wanting to dump more money into it. Yeah, for sure. Here, so on this year, this used to be in the holiday special proper, but I did not want to have, you know, it's, it's turned to another two and a half hour podcast. So we're going to do this one in the last episode of the calendar year this year. So we're going to go for the year. Pete and I are going to listen back to some clips from the year in podcasting, going all the way back to January through now. And I say Pete does appear a couple of times in these audio clips. So Pete's going to have himself to hear as well. Yeah, I, I never like hearing myself, so this would be interesting. Yeah, so those of you watching on YouTube, the audio ones, we'll just have audio, but the ones that actually were YouTube reels, we'll show you the video version of the reel on the podcast here. So I think we should, I think that's a good way to do this, Pete. We should have some fun with this. Yeah, no, I'm totally excited. I'm t- excited to see the clips. All right, so full disclosure, I was telling Mike off the air here, I have not looked up any of these clips i haven't looked up any of these topics there's gonna be some topics that i have no clue what i'm talking about but we're gonna try we're gonna try to figure it out i wanted to do that just for the the aesthetic of the show right be a little surprised see what's new learn something and and give my genuine reaction to what you had going on this year yep so i think number i think one of the things here i feel like you would say for sure 2023 is not a great year for new york sports no i mean rangers have been doing well let's let's call it late 2023 uh baseball obviously abysmal football has been a mess lack of a word interesting yeah. for for new york sports yeah and, uh, and i think 
we should have seen that this is a bad omen for this year coming. I know back when, you know, the whole big three for Brooklyn broke up because that was also, I forgot that was here until I went back and looked at my footage. I forgot, oh yeah, they traded away uh, Durant and Kyrie and that was the end of the Nets. Yeah, I mean, was there was there bad blood between them, or were they trying to to move cap? Like, what was going on with them? Why why did they make that move? Well, this thing was sort of falling apart. I remember that at one point Kyrie didn't then ask for a trade, and then they gave it to him. They were tired of his antics. I and then- do remember the trade request. I do remember hearing that. Uh, listening to, uh, uh, what was I listening to? I think I was listening to uh, Michael K. Show yeah. on uh, ESPN Radio. Yeah, and and then, I yeah. do remember that trade request come through. Yeah, and then they they ended up trading him a few, Kevin Durant a couple days later to Phoenix and basically gutted that entire era of Brooklyn basketball here. And I had the guys from the Sorry Sports Pod signer up podcast on. I think right after the NBA trade deadline, we talked about the break of the Nets and uh, Sean Rowe and Tom Bokey offered their commentary on this. So let's listen in and back to I want to say this was in February, it's episode three thirty six. This is Sean and Tom talking about the breakup of the Nets. It's it's one of the biggest failures in sports history. Uh, I don't think there's any other way to to, to talk about it. Um, you know, for a stretch, you had three of the top ten players in the entire league on the same team, um, and the various iterations of this team with you know Kyrie and Durant, with Levert, Allen, and Dinwiddie, and then obviously the Harden period, and then you know what was going to become of Ben Simmons and some of these other guys, and it was just. Tom and I talked about it at length on the pod. It was time to rip the Band-Aid off. Um, I got to be honest, as fun as it was thinking and talking yourself into potentially this team going on a run, I mean, let's not forget they were 18-2 over a 20-game stretch from uh, late November into early January. But the drama was just insane. Um, Constantly worrying about who's going to ask out or are they going to come back? Kyrie was obviously at the focal point of everything. If he gets vaccinated, Harden stays. Durant doesn't get hurt, Harden stays. Simmons is not the albatross that he is. Uh, but I also think that I said this and Tom kind of made fun of me for this comment, but you've got to dare to be great. And that's what they did. And I think that there's a lot of organizations across all sports that have to take chances. The Brooklyn Nets and formerly New Jersey Nets have never been a team that have attracted top marquee superstars. But I think this is a blueprint for them and then other teams going forward where when you completely turn over the keys to your organization and instead of working with the superstars, you work for the superstars, um, it's going to do more harm than good. So it it was an epic failure um, and, you know, completely ridding themselves of any of the questions and just moving on, I think was the right move. Yeah, so Pete, what did you think about the break of the Nets there? I feel like Sean the nail on the head here. This was a case feel like where the Nets sort of just let the big three, particularly Durant, or we sort of run the net the team, and then they basically got nothing to show for him, made a mess of everything. I mean, I don't I'm not too well versed in basketball in the NBA, but I feel like a lot of the big superstars in the NBA do have a say in their team. I feel like I've heard that with LeBron. I know LeBron's a different creature entirely, but I feel like I've heard those kind of rumors where like players are do are part of the decision making when it comes to getting players from other teams. I feel like I've heard that before. Could be completely wrong. Could be talking out of my ass here. Oh, no, they're, they but, have input. Uh, say, say that again? They do have input, but I do feel like with the probably the Nets is sort of sure. like they just bend over backwards whatever Kevin Durant wanted. Yeah, I mean do we think Brooklyn was like so just ecstatic to get KD that they that's why they overcorrected and just bent over backwards to do whatever he wanted? Um I'd say pretty much. I mean 
I agree with what was said. I think at one point it was said this was like one of the worst disasters in, in basketball history. Was I yeah. am I quoting that correctly? Is this the biggest failure in NBA history? Biggest failure. I mean, is it the biggest failure, right? They tried something. It wasn't working, so they moved on. I mean, do you just – like, if you're the Brooklyn Nets, do you just hold them hostage and make it worse? I mean, like, yeah, they were winning and stuff, so that's why it probably hits a little hard. Um, and what was the record? 18-2 and two in the last, like, two months of the year or something like that, was, the 2022 year or whatever it was? Yeah, the problem was, like, those three were, were never healthy together. There's one point where they had th- three of the ten best players in the sport, and then, like, they yeah, never well, get past the second round of the playoffs. That's also something that we can get into is NBA player health. Were they really that injured or is it more of those maintenance days? Like, I don't want to play. No, we had like hamstrings with with Harden and Kyrie in the playoffs a couple of times. Durant had various issues like his knee. So like, okay, so legitimate injuries, injuries, but injuries nonetheless that were happening too much. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a failure, right? You tried. It'd be a failure if you were in talks to to get all these guys, you trade away a bunch of pieces to get them and then you don't get them. That would be a failure, right? You, you didn't even get them. I mean, they were all there. You tried it. There was drama. You move on. Well, what else is an organization you're supposed to do as a, as a New York Knicks fan. And I use that term loosely. I don't, follow them. <laughs> I don't follow basketball as much as I probably should when it comes to New York sports, but um, I'm sure a lot of Brooklyn net fans are, are really upset about this. If this was the New York Knicks or the New York Rangers or the New York Jets, and you had these three or four top guys that were supposed to take you to the promised land, right? Take you to, to win these championships. And they just, you just get rid of them. I'm sure it's a huge shock to the fan base. Yeah, for sure. Here, Let's go on here to a, a more positive note for the area here, because you remember back in uh, Mars, man, it's a Yukon to stampede the whole country and won the whole thing. Did they? Again, basketball yeah. wasn't really uh, following. Yeah, so I'm sure you remember UConn played our alumni, our school, Alma Iona in the first round. They cr- they beat I, them. I remember then, that. And then they went on to basically stampede the entire field win the national championship. So they won their fifth title here. And a friend of ours, Troy Moriello, was on the podcast doing our Mark Mannis coverage. And we had this discussion, I think, before the experts were talking about UConn's a blue blood. UConn belongs in the territory of the blue bloods. So... That was happening. Troy and I were ahead of the curve on that. So Troy and I reacted to the media coming around to our cause after the case. But this is from episode 346, I believe. I actually double-checked that. My dad here. Oh, sorry. 344. This is us talking about UConn as a blue bluff. They won March Madness. So let's listen to Troy for a little bit. All time. Just, yeah, it feels like it's it's a UConn's to lose. And uh, as a Big East fan, as a St. John's fan, that's probably unfortunate because I don't want to see UConn win again. But uh, it looks like right now it's, it's, it's going to be them. Yeah, it'll be the fifth title for UConn since 1999. And you think about it, that's mm-hmm. – and for everybody who doesn't – like, I know all of just like, oh, they're not a blue blood. They're not like all these schools like Kansas, Kentucky, Indiana. They would have won more titles in that span than those three schools combined if they win. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually just thinking that. Like, yeah, I mean, obviously they don't have the, the, the you know, 50 years of history that some of those schools have, but – you look since the turn of the century or, or right before the turn of the century, like UConn is, has, is if they win this one as a resume that stacks up against anyone in the country, like in terms of tournament appearances, but especially the national titles, uh, you know, final fours, like they get there and they win. And, 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 you know, they're blue blood, Like it's, it's very obvious. They're not the traditional blue blood. That's been good for 50 years. Like I mentioned, but they're over the last 25 years, they, their resume stacks up with, with literally anyone in the country. Yeah, I feel like they're like in this category. I call it like the new blue bloods. Like it's like they're mm-hmm. in there. Villanova's in there. Yeah, like mm-hmm. Gonzaga's mm-hmm. in that mix, and they haven't won a title yet. Like that sort of crew. Like these teams have just really come on, become like dominant power the last like twenty five years. 
Exactly. Yeah. Like aren't the traditional, you know, to Kansas, Kentucky, but yeah, have, have really, you know, have resumes that really match up with those programs over the past 25 years. Yeah. They're definitely in that class. Yeah. And I do think it's an interesting point here because I feel like a lot of like college basketball people are very stodgy about like, Oh, you know, you weren't around in 1960. And when we were having tur- NCAA tournaments, with, like 30 teams and UConn, I mean, just has been dominant as anybody in the sport over the last like cent- quite quarter century. And they belong on that list, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, do do me a favor. Explain the blue blood designation. Yeah, sure. So, like, basically, like all these like schools and all this traditional history of like being dominant in the sport. We talk about like Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, UCLA, Indiana, Kansas. Those are like your blue blood schools where like all the top recruits like to go there. They have this pedigree of success at basketball and so on. Like UConn is one more late than any of the, than most of those teams on the lists, and like they don't get the same respect as a blue blood because they've not been doing it as long. Yeah. I mean, um, I'll compare it to the original six of the NHL, right? Yep. I feel like uh, when you talk about the Montreal Canadians and the uh, Chicago Blackhawks Rangers and stuff, a lot of these teams haven't won as of late Tim, you know, the uh, Maple Leafs. So it's that resonates. So I understand that. I mean, look, I, like I said, I don't follow basketball as much, but I know UConn's a good basketball team. So if I know as, as a person who is not, really paying attention obviously they have to be in some sort of conversation um i think that goes to any sports team and i think that if you want to designate original teams versus new teams do it by just timeline don't do it by dominance don't do it by well they're not a blue blood because they haven't been around as long i personally think it doesn't matter if like you had said if they're going to have more championships which they won that year you guys called it right you were saying that they they took it all the way there um if they're going to have more championships as of late than all those blue blood teams combined or three or four, whatever you, you got to show them the respect. You have to, you have to admit that they're winning. They're beating these teams that are so highly regarded. Yeah. And the wild thing about UConn is like with them, it feels like whenever they get to the final four, they win. Like, like I think they, they've been there I think like six times and they've lost like one final four game. They, when they get to the final, they don't lose. I mean, that's an incredible stat, right? If yeah. you, if you're five and one, out of the six times getting to the final four, I mean that's an incredible stat to 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 show. Yeah. I mean it's it's they 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 get there, they win. That's it's, it's as simple as that. So, look, I hope they they get the reg- resignation that they deserve. If they're winning championships, those look all the players, all the students put in their hard work to get into to the tournament and do what they have to do, and it's heartbreaking for when they lose. But you got to give credit where credit's due. They're working hard. They're winning championships. You, you got to give them that designation. Yeah, absolutely. Here and uh, they're on. They're doing well so far this year. They're in the top five as of recordings time. So like they might be right in the mix again. Right. I mean, this is this is something that we can have a conversation. Let's call it again. UConn wins again this year. Repeat. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's let's do it here. And also, let's not go to an area where you're more familiar with here in terms of like what we cover here. We talk some Star Wars here. We got. The, all right. The Sky, the Sky guys once again like share all the uh, live action recaps on the podcast. So we talked some Mandalorian here. And Pete, I know you had end up like having a scheduling conflict. We did the actual Sky Guys year in review show. So like, give everybody your opinion on like how you feel about Mandalorian season three. It was it was very overrated. I think it was underwhelming. I I think you guys thankfully were able to explain my thoughts because I wasn't I couldn't be there, but. Uh, it, they, they had a product that was doing well. 
the first two seasons were written with a purpose to get Grogu off the show and, and start something anew. And they couldn't really do that because I'm sure the Disney execs and also the writers and showrunners said, hey, Grogu's the most popular character in this show. We've gotten people outside of Star Wars fans to watch this show because of Grogu, Baby Yoda. That was like the whole thing. They force him back in and you get this underwhelming season three of this like Maj Paj of just just Mandalorian Jedi, like all this crap just kind of thrown at the wall to see what sticks. It wasn't the most terrible thing I've seen ever, but it just it didn't have an identity to me. It just wasn't it wasn't what we thought season three was going to be. And honestly, and I'm sure it was talked about too, season four has been getting so many different rumors about what it's going to be. Is it going to be a movie? Is it going to be a series? If it goes to movie, this series, this Mandalorian series is done. It's dead. And that's why I still think Ahsoka is the best TV series, even over Mando. Yeah, and uh, if there was ever, if there was an episode in Body, went wrong, what went wrong with uh, season three? What would you say it was? You know, it's hard to remember each episode, but to me, they didn't they didn't do the Moff Gideon stuff as well as they could have. And they did it too late. They they introduced all this stuff way too late, too quick, and it was just like, boom, we're done. It's okay. Everything's sunshine and roses and Grogu's playing at a playing in a lake. And it's just I think that's what was done wrong. You had a lot of great ideas, but you had to take ten pounds of stuff and shove it in a two pound bag. I'd say for me, we had when we had uh, two very famous uh, celebrities show up for a random episode. Like I think that was probably my that my jump the shark moment for them. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was having a conversation with one of my friends Ray the other day about just Marvel. So obviously not Star Wars. I feel like once Marvel started to get the famous actors to come in and play parts in Marvel, that's when Marvel started to get tacky, and that's when Marvel started to go a little downhill. A lot of the original Marvel cast, they were not super superstars. Marvel created them and became made them superstars. Um, Chris Evans was obviously an actor everyone knew, but I don't think he was at the magnitude he was unless he becomes Captain America. Robert Darren Jr. was, you know, he had his own life problems and stuff. So I think introducing all these popular people into Star Wars, it takes it, it's it it's very hard to separate them. You know, you're looking at him, you're like, look, it's Jack Black. It's not this character. And I think that's also kind of takes away from the immersion of it. Yeah, we got. I pulled a clip from that, our coverage, our recall of that episode. It was 347 in this feed. It was, it was chapter 22 of Mando, Guns for Hire. So let's take a look back at uh, some of the Jack Black Lizzo commentary here. So this is from, this is from back in, I think, April. So here we go. These two, though, Jack Black and Lizzo, it takes me out of the, especially Jack Black, because I know him so well. I don't know if you guys, I, I know this Lizzo person was famous, but I don't know who she is. But Jack Black, it just takes me out of it, because I'm not thinking about his character. I'm thinking that's Jack Black. Yeah, Pete. Christopher Lloyd, it, it did not feel the same way. His character f- was fine. I thought it, it went well, but with Jack Black, I'm sitting there, and I'm not thinking Star Wars anymore. I'm thinking real world. Yeah, Pete, when you, want, when you watch this, you're sitting there like, Wait, is that Jack Black? Because I was sort of like my reaction when I first saw him pop up. I, I knew exactly it was Jack Black. There was no question in my mind that that was Jack Black. And then I also thought it was Lizzo, and I had to look it up just to make sure because I know who she is, but I'm not familiar with her face and, you know, because I'm not really seeing a lot of her on, you know, my social media or whatever. But uh, I 100% knew that was Jack Black from the moment he appeared on screen. And the first words out of my mouth is, they freaking put Jack Black in Star Wars. How is this? How is this a thing? Like I, I, 
I'm with Nick. It I could not care less. I could care less about the character. All I kept saying was, "There's Jack ba- Black and his like humongous beard," and I'm waiting for him to start doing like some School of Rock crap or something like that on screen. Yeah, I mean, we got that. We got Lizzo doing the Queen of Hearts thing from uh, Alice in Wonderland. That was also a little weird here. And uh, he definitely did take me out of the episode where it's sort of like, I mean, I his name character in Captain Bombardier, and he apparently is in the Imperial Amnesty program. There's a bunch of plot stuff about how, like, he can't, like, he can rule a planet, but he can't, like, run a military. Like, also there was stuff like, I can't call him that. It's just it's, it's Jack Black being Jack Black, basically. Yeah, and uh, I think they're also pushing this Imperial reintroducement program a little too hard yeah i think that's going to be something significant in the future either this season or the next yeah i remember when this episode aired like i was so like confused and bizarre like in a very weird state of mind about like wait star wars did what now yeah i mean i i encourage everyone to go watch the sky guys podcast and listen to it because you get more in depth when it comes to these clips but it was jarring I mean, you don't expect to see someone like Jack Black appear in Star Wars. It just it it, it we we talked about it just before the clip, and then Nick said it beautifully too. And it, it just takes you out of the whole experience. Yeah. It, it I could not unsee it. I just knew it was Jack Black. It was like if they put Daniel Radcliffe into Star Wars, I'd be like, "That's Harry Potter. Why is he here?" So it was very jarring, and I just think it it again cheapens the season and again as a whole the season was underwhelming to begin with so this just kind of didn't help anything yeah that's for sure here and uh let's move ahead now we'll go to some uh start we'll go to another team that we are familiar with here our new york jets because they made a big move when they traded for aaron Rodgers. obviously we didn't know that his season would basically last four plays but back in uh april when the trade was made there was a lot of enthusiasm about the rogers pickup yeah i mean I wasn't super enthused. I got to be honest with you. Not because he's not a great player, but the Jets seem to get guys that are at the end of their career. And the guys they traded for, too, and they got Am Lazar, Dalvin Cook, guys that I consider toward the end of their careers, not in their peak. Again, I can't do what they do, not at all criticizing their talents. But to me, they had other quarterbacks on the table they could have went for, and they either failed at it and then Aaron Rodgers was the last resort or they just, they just were in on all, they're all in on Rodgers and they just didn't, you know, take a look at, you know, the Derek Carrs or the Jimmy Garoppolo's of the world. Yeah. Well, they took the big swing and I talked to uh Daryl Slayer of the star ledger back in April after the draft about his thinking what the Aaron Rodgers era would have to be for the jazz station with this team here. So let's take a look back on what he had to say about that. This is from, our post-draft episode here, number 353. So let's go ahead and listen to what Daryl has to say. Well, the bottom line to me for this Rodgers trade is they have a two-year window to make the Super Bowl or else the trade is not a success. Um, so, you know, for as long as he's with him, I should say, is the window. But like, well, let's assume it's two years. I, I, I don't think he's going to be one and done based on everything he said and based on how it looks like they're going to rework the contract. So let's just say like two years, right? So over the next two years, um, to me, they have to get to the Super Bowl. They do. I mean, why else are you making this move uh, if you're not trying to do that? I mean, the Jets—they've been to the AFC Championship game in the recent now in the recent past. Of anyone who's not like 12 years old, um, you know, 09 and 10, people who are like actual adults remember that. And so, to me, you know, this is this is what they have to do. They got to take the next step. You're you're doing this like franchise-altering thing, not just trading away important draft picks, but also. Um, 
you know, paying a guy a ton of money who's late in his career. So it's obviously a win now move, like the ultimate win now move. So they, they need to, uh, they need to win now. And so if they miss the playoffs this year, I think they probably clean house and fire the coach and the GM. Um, definitely the coach. And so Robert Sala under contract through 2025, Joe Douglas under contract through 2024. So the buyouts would not be insane if they were to part ways with both or, or one of those guys after this year. And so, uh, I think they make the playoffs. I do. I, there's no reason they shouldn't. Um, how deep will they go? Um, a lot depends on health and other offensive line, obviously, and a lot of luck. But and you know, let's assume Rogers stays healthy with all this too. We saw last year with the broken thumb that he suffered in London against the Giants did to his production. Um, but uh, you know, we're assuming here that he stays healthy, that he plays well, close to the MVP level of 20 and 21. Um, but I think that you know, I think the Jets over the next two years. Like they have as good of a shot as they've ever had since 1969 of, of, of winning the Super Bowl. Now, granted, I think like, those 09 and 10 teams had great defenses, but we all knew what Mark Sanchez was. They have this missing piece now, um, and unless he suddenly like regresses, I, I, last year was sort of an outlier because of some and his injuries. So um, then they have the they have the piece they've looked for for a really long time, and to me, they they have to they have to make the Super Bowl. I don't think they have to win it. Get to new territory. Yeah, so I do think it's interesting here. Obviously, the assumption was Rodgers stays healthy. I don't think anybody would have assumed he just plays four plays and he's gone. But the thing that frustrates you with the Jets, if you watch their games here, is obviously, like, you see how good they are defensively and, like, some of the teams they've beaten given a hard time to. It's like, you watch this team, you're like, if Rodgers could have just stayed on the field, this team is easily in the playoffs, supposed to being, like, five and eight at time of recording. You know, you say they're easily in the playoffs. I don't know about easily in the playoffs. I don't know how this team plays with Rodgers. Do they play complacent because they're like, ah, Rodgers will take care of it? I don't know. Uh, You would think that they don't. You would think that they'd rally behind Rodgers and play even harder and they would be a shoo-in for the playoffs and everything like that. But we really don't know how this Jet team is going to play around Rodgers. We only saw four plays. We saw them in preseason. They look good, obviously, with Rodgers. But do they get complacent? Do they play as hard as they do with Zach Wilson under center? Do they play as hard as they did with, with you know, let's call it Tim Boyle? Um, but at the end of the day, the Jets games I've seen, the officiating hasn't been great. Oh, no. Doesn't have any effect on the game. I'm not saying that that's because we lost games, but I was at the Jets-Chiefs game, which was pretty much the Taylor Swift Bowl. Yes. Um, and there was a bunch of plays that, could have been drives the other way for the Jets. There was an interception that they called a hold after the interception was caught. It was, it was a whole mess. So I think that with the officiating being unlucky there and also trying to to play with, with Zach Wilson, who is an unexperienced quarterback, even though he has reps, he's still an unexperienced quarterback because he's not – I don't think he's learned anything. I think he looks okay. At times. He looks okay. He looked pretty good last game, but, I mean, at the end of the day – we don't know what's going behind closed doors. We don't know if Zach Wilson's a bad quarterback or we don't know how to coach them. That's why I think the coaching situation is on the table. But, you know, I think I think Zach Wilson is not the answer. I think they knew that. That's why they went after Rodgers, and now they're kind of stuck with him, so they kind of have to circle back again. Yeah, I think for sure with them next year, I feel like this gave them all into the coaching staff. I do like that Aaron Rodgers runs the Jets, and, like, what he wants is, like, what's going to happen. I think he wants this team back here, but, like, now they had two years, Daryl Slater said. Now they wasted one because Rodgers wasn't playing, and now they have basically like one or two shots left to try and get to a Super Bowl with him. And and let's be real. 
he had a major injury, yep. right? I know there's rumors around going that he didn't have the injury, whatever, because he's going back so quickly, whatever the case may be. How well is he going to play? Is he going to re-injure it, God forbid? We don't even know if we have a year with him. So the Jets need to figure something out. They need to figure something out. And it doesn't seem like they've made any, like Carson Wentz was on the table midseason. And I don't even know if the Jets even spoke with him. Yeah, we could definitely. Like, you got Zach Wilson, Tim Boyle. You don't have like all these great quarterbacks. Like, talk, at least talk to the guy. Show the fans you're trying. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's it's a it's a frustrating thing to be a Jet fan in that sense. But again, I don't know what happens behind closed doors. I can't throw a freaking football. Who am I to be like Zach Wilson? You stink. You can't do crap. I can't do it. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, for sure. Here, let's get to the summer here for a little bit. We got some fun here because he get need to feel a little better about ourselves after talking about the Jets. So, uh, like Pete, were you a big Barbenheimer guy over the summer? I was a big Oppenheimer guy. So um, I was not interested in the Barbie movie, not because it didn't look good. I just, my sights were kind of on Oppenheimer and I don't go to the movies that often. So I only got to see the one. Yeah. It's wild how big a thing that was for, like, for solid like two months. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, they were coming out the same day. They were told polar opposites. It was great. Yeah, for sure. And I, I did see Oppenheimer in theater. I have seen Barbie since I have seen it on demand. So like I have seen both movies. They're both pretty good. I like, I personally like Oppenheimer better, but before we got to uh, that point, we did have a pre a Christopher Nolan movie ranking podcast with uh, John Stanko and Sam DeRosa uh, in the middle of some year, and we talked about the Barbenheimer preview, basically. We recorded before these movies came out, so we'll go back to uh, episode 363, and we'll get the preview of Barbenheimer with uh, Stanko and Sam, so let's take a look on the video version here. I got the video clip up. I think it's going to make a lot of money. I Sam, you said it's not going to be a thinking movie. It's going to be different for Greta Gerwig not to create a thinking movie because she typically puts some depth into her movies. Exactly. Right. So I'm curious what the audience is expecting versus Mm -hmm. what they're going to get because the trailers, we don't know what the movie's about. We know she goes into the real world, but what, what conflict is there in the real world? Like we don't know what the actual conflict is. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if it's going to be like a matrix kind of red, like red pill, blue pill thing. Right, and it's going to be like an allegory of the cave. She wants to leave, so she leaves, and then she's going to try and go back to Barbie land. She's not going to be able to accept it, and then she's going to have to make a choice. That's probably what's going to happen, something along those lines. I personally am I am way more excited for Oppenheimer. I'm just going to be straight up with you. Like Barbie seems like a lot of cringe humor, punch you in the face with social commentary type things, and that's not my type of movie. It's just not – I don't enjoy cringe. I don't enjoy people being awkward. And then getting laughed at, like, I don't, that's not my type of thing. And that's the thing that Barbie's going to be when she goes to the weird world. She's going to have all eyes on her with people snickering. And I don't enjoy that. We have Christopher Nolan doing a character piece about one of the most tumultuous times in history with what's going to be groundbreaking cinema, what he always does. And sure, he's going to have some of his same motifs thrown into it. But I, I like that stuff a lot more. I like the idea of a power struggle and stuff like that. So I'm way more excited for Oppenheimer, but I am in the minority. Yeah, and Kill Murphy is supposed to have like an Oscar-worthy best actor performance as well. Yeah, I mean, I love Killian Murphy. Margot Robbie's probably going to get some attention too. And like, this is another thing where the the casts are equally stacked in both movies. Mm-hmm. I like a movie where the cast, while they are while it's stacked, isn't playing like to their fame. And Barbie, because it's the style of the movie. Every time you see someone's face is famous, you're going to go like, oh, that's that person playing a Ken. Oh, that's that person playing a Barbie. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And you're meant to recognize them. 
Yeah. yeah. I don't love that. I love when the cast is stacked, but they're all still playing characters. And you're just seeing them with their talent and they're showing their talent and not their face. So I'm get, again, it's a little bit, again, I think Barbie's going to be good, but I'm way more excited for Oppenheimer because it's just more my type of movie. All right. So there we have it. I feel like that they did a pretty good job summing up what Barbie and Oppenheimer ended up being. Yeah, I didn't see Barbie. So I'd have to take your word for it. Um, Oppenheimer, I, I loved. Uh, I got it on Blu-ray the minute it came out. Um, so I uh, saw that in the movie theaters. Christopher Nolan did a fantastic job. And again, I'll just have to take a word on Barbie. Uh, just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, what Stanko was described about the cringe humor in the real world and say with the blue pill, red pill, all those things come into play here. And uh, the basic gist of the movie I'll throw out here for you is like, the villain of the movie is basically the patriarchy. That's like, that's what you need to know about what the, the Barbie movie is. Because... Basically, Ken goes to the real world with Barbie. He learns about patriarchy and likes it and brings patriarchy back to Barbie world. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So Stanko was pretty spot on then. Yeah. Pretty much was pretty spot on. So you did a good job summing it up here. And we'll be talking with uh, Sam and Stanko later this week. Like we are going to, like, towards the end of the week, we're going to be doing our annual pop culture party. It's number five coming up here. So Nice. So a little teaser for those folks here. So. We're going to jump ahead in the summer a little bit here, too. A little bit of tennis here, because, Pete, I know you have talked about, like, you want to check out the U.S. Open at some point, but there was a lot of fun stuff happening at the Flushing Meadows this year. Let me tell you, every year you ask me, every year I feel bad that I can't go because I want to go. And it's another sport I really don't pay attention to as much, even though I'm interested in it. I play a little bit of it. I'm terrible, by the way. But I play a little bit of it, so it's it's... It's another sport I probably should be paying attention more. Yeah, well, it's one I recommend you could check out. The majors coming around here. I know the Australian Open's coming up in a few weeks, so that's something you can keep an eye on if you're a late night person. So, like, they play a lot of like 10 p.m. matches, like because it's, it's uh, over in Australia. But I spoke to uh, tennis writer Chris Otto ahead of the uh, U.S. Open, and he had some insight on the American women hitting the tournament, including our eventual winner, Coco Gauff. So, let's go ahead and uh, check out what Chris had to say here. This is from episode 370. Well, uh, those two names you mentioned are the are the ones that I think are pretty set up to at least get to the quarterfinals. Jessica Pagula has been missed consistency for the last two seasons. She's always making quarterfinals of slams. She hasn't had that breakthrough yet, though she did recently win the title at, at Montreal, which was very impressive. I think that her Grand Slam breakthrough may very well come at this one. And I think Coco is the big story right now because she was really down in the dumps a bit after Wimbledon lost in the first round to fellow American Sophia Kennan and was having some struggles with her game. Just really was not really firing on the forehand and not really confident overall. But since she's uh, brought on a new coach by the name of Per Reba and also brought on Brad Gilbert as a consultant, she's changed her game. She's changed her confidence level. She's changed her mindset. She's become a little bit more aggressive and she's just playing so confident winning 11 of her last 12 and winning that huge title in Cincinnati. A lot of people are thinking she can win the title at the U S open. I myself am not so sure, but I think uh, definitely a career best performance for golf. She's never been beyond the quarterfinals would be, I would say she's got a good chance to do that. And then there are always a handful of other Americans that are great to watch. Madison Keys, Sloane Stevens, Young, young Alicia Park, Peyton Stearns, uh, an NCAA champion, is starting to make her way on tour. So a lot of young Americans to look at as well. Yeah, so this calls in the category, in my opinion, of like the uh, 
good calls department. I mean, Chris did not exactly call the win, but he did say career best performance Coco Gauff, and we saw that, like, she had a moment here when she wins the title and ends up being, like, a big storyline in sports. Is she is she new to the sport or relatively new compared to other big names out there? Yes, I remember her. She had her breakthrough. I think in twenty nineteen, she was a fifteen year old at Wimbledon beat Venus, and then she's oh, been, wow been hanging around. She's been like making her noise. She's only like nineteen years old. Well, what you can you can compete at that young of an age in tennis? You can. Wow, is fifteen yeah. the youngest? Fifteen is the youngest that you I've seen going to slam. That's crazy. I mean, I know that you can compete very young in the Olympics too. Yeah. Um, but I didn't realize in like in tennis, you could as well, but that's, that's amazing. I mean, first of all, for her to beat you said Venus at 15 is probably yeah. a crazy experience. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, congratulations to her. She won the whole U S open, right? You were saying, yeah, she won the, she won the women's draw this year. Like she got a great yeah. run for the tournament. I mean, I mean, that's, and how old is she now? She's 19 and I don't know. Yeah, 19 years old. That's that's wild. I mean, good for her. She deserves it, obviously. I'm sure she put in the work. I mean, as the uh as as the guy you had in the clip there, she won the last like eleven out of twelve before this campaign. So I mean that's crazy good too. Um and to who did she beat out? Anyone anyone uh, of noteworthy that I would know? She and she beat the I think the reigning champ Iga Swiatek in the final. So Okay. All right. Hey, listen. I mean, look. Like I said, good for her. A sport I gotta be looking at probably more because I am interested in it. But uh, but yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, it's pretty wild here. And I don't know if you saw the video on social media after she won. Like, there's this video infamously going around. It was part of a commercial, like of her attending Arthur Ashe Kids Day. I think like when she was like not like eight or nine years old, and then like ten was eight years old, and then like ten years later she's a champion, which is wild. That yeah, no, it's 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 crazy. Even when like I hear about eighteen year olds playing in the NHL, it's like I. As a 31-year-old, I'm like, that that's literally a child. Yeah. You know, when I was 18, I'm like, oh, I'm an adult and stuff like that. But now that I've gotten older, I'm I'm very like, there's literally children playing in the NHL. So it's definitely crazy to hear that at 19 years old, you're winning championships. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let's now go back to uh, another Star Wars well here because we're in the tie of Ahsoka here. And uh, Pete has mentioned that previously on this podcast, this is his favorite Star Wars series like ever. Yeah, in my opinion, the best Star Wars series on Disney Plus to date, and that includes Mandalorian episode seasons one, two, and three. Yeah, for sure here. And we had a great character arc for Ahsoka in the show itself. And we're flipping with Pull Years episode 378 on here. I think it's from our chap our part five recap on Ahsoka on the Ahsoka coverage and the Sky Guys feed it's over here. But let's talk about Ahsoka's evolution after she goes through the experience in the world between worlds. So let's go to the, the audio clip here, episode uh, 378. I do think it's important, Pete, that we talk about the chain Soka's had here, where before her mission was just, I'm going to stop Thrawn. Now she goes to, to her and says, I'm going to bring them back. And them obviously being referenced to Sabine and Ezra. So we see the evolution of Ahsoka realizing, hey, it's, it's not just trying to prevent a war. We're trying to like make life worth living. Yeah. I mean, I think Ahsoka's realizing all that. I mean, Nick and you guys have mentioned it before. Um, I think that this problem or this this mission was always dual layered, right? Stop Thrawn, get Ezra. And I think Ahsoka was blinded and kind of just not wanting to think it's about Ezra. I think because she wanted to influence Sabine to understand, like, don't make stupid decisions because of Ezra. Obviously, that didn't work because we saw in the last episode that Sabine just hands over the map. Um, but I think now she's just open to the fact that people have feelings other than let's not have a war, not very stoic. Right. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much all I got to say about that. I think that Ahsoka 
didn't want anything to do with the Ezra part of the story or the, the situation because she was under the impression that Anakin's legacy was her legacy and she wouldn't want any attachments. And that's why she pushed Sabine away, why she was missing. You see at the beginning of the story, Hera's nowhere to be found, or at least hasn't seen Ahsoka in a while. Not that Hera hasn't been found. Uh, excuse me. Not that Hera hasn't been seen in a while. Ahsoka hasn't been seen in a while. No one knows where Ahsoka's been. She stopped training Sabine. She hasn't seen Hera anymore. They don't even know where. They haven't even tried looking for Ezra, it looks like, in some time. She doesn't want any attachments, and I think her training with Anakin has showed her that just because Anakin's attachments led to a dark path doesn't mean hers will. Yeah, so, P, I did think it was a very well-told Star Wars story with Ahsoka's character, which is not something this franchise does very well. Yeah, I mean, they had eight episodes to explain a lot, and I think they did it in a very natural and meaningful way. The character development for a lot of those characters, including Ahsoka, were phenomenal. And, and, and just like you heard in that clip, Ahsoka goes from this rigid character of we need to make sure we don't start a war and make sure that I train you correctly to, you know, we, we need we need those connections. This is what's important. We can stop a war, too, at the same time, but we, we need those connections. So there was definitely great character development in there. And still, to this day, I can argue for about an hour as to why Ahsoka is a better show than any Star Wars show currently on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, for sure. You want more of that coverage, obviously. Go to the Sky Guys podcast. We have a lot of Star Wars stuff out there, including like off-season content for people who are looking for something Star Wars between the live-action shows. It might be a bit before you get another one. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's a ton of Star Wars. Every time something comes out Star Wars, we're on top of it. We're covering it. So if you have any questions that need to be answered, you can probably find that answer on our podcast. Yep. So now let's go ahead to... Uh, the fall sport, we'll wrap up the baseball season here. The Mets made a big uh, personnel change here. They brought in their longtime white whale. They brought in President of Base Operations David Stearns, which I know Steve Collins waiting uh, three years trying to hire this guy. He finally gets the job to, uh, done here. So I had Will Salmon from the Athletic Met beat writer on in September. We talked about the Mets season here, and this happened right after the report that David Stearns getting hired. So let's listen to what Will has to say about the David Stearns hire here. So... Go ahead and check that out. Yeah, it's pretty much a home run hire. And it's one, frankly, that Steve Cohen had to make. There wasn't really an obvious second selection there or second second guy. It was David Stearns or you said to yourself, uh oh, you know, like maybe they're not gonna going to uh going to get the guy that they want or the kind of guy that they want after all. Uh, but yeah, David should help the organization in a major way, particularly with just the way that he controls a 40-man roster and manages a 40-man roster, he tends to get the most and maximize that group. Um, he's been really good over the years of just unearthing these hidden gems that, uh, like a DJ Stewart, for example, um, he obviously didn't have anything to do with that one, but that's an example of a guy who you don't really expect a whole lot from that really pans out. And David has a really strong track record of doing that with Milwaukee Brewers. And, you know, you need help on the margins, even when you have a bunch of superstars like the Mets did. Yeah, that's going to be something that's exciting for Mets fans here because obviously they have the richest owner in all of professional sports. He can throw his money around whenever he wants. But, like, in baseball now, I feel like it's more you need to find, like, maybe to develop your own guys and find the guys in the margins who are getting overlooked here. And that's something David Stearns did very well in Milwaukee. The Brewers didn't come out the smallest market teams in the sport. And he made the, and he was in the playoffs in, like, six of eight years. And the Mets had never made it more than three in a row, maybe more than twice in a row in their, in their whole existence. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're getting someone from a smaller market that's able to go to the playoffs, what do you say, two two years in a row? The Mets had never been more than two years in a row in their franchise history. He made it, I think, like five of eight years in Milwaukee. Right. So, I mean, that just speaks volumes to his talents and what he can give to a team. I'm not very familiar with him. I'm not very familiar with the Mets and or the Yankees. Uh, however, I do remember that there was a time that if you bought the best baseball team, you were the best baseball team. I don't see that anymore. Um, the Yankees were notorious as a Yankee fan. I'll be the first to admit notorious for just buying players and being in the luxury tax. Right. I mean, that was just how it was. And that was the game that was being played in the front office. And you played that game and, you know, the Yankees got championships because of it. But um, as you said, it seems like that climate is changing. You need to start actually worrying about the game of baseball and not just buying the best players because it's not just getting those names on your roster. It's about the chemistry. It's about how they play together. We talked about it earlier in the show with Brooklyn, the big three there. So I think it's a great hire for the Mets if, you know, this is the first time I'm hearing from them. But to get someone who's gone five out of the last eight years with a low market team, uh, this is this is a great hire. Imagine the the possibilities that this uh, the president of baseball operations can have on a team that does have a big market. Yeah, for sure. Here, so now we'll get to a, t- a topic you're very enthusiastic about. We're gonna talk some Rangers hockey, Pete. Oh yeah, no, yeah. it's uh, I'm very excited for this part. Yeah, and I mean, could you have possibly seen the, the hot start they've gotten off to this year after the way no. last year ended? No, I uh, well look, their 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 year didn't end in a complete just fire right i think last year was awkward we had a bunch of rentals we were in this let's try to win now we got kane we got tarasenko both of which i knew were not staying we couldn't afford them i don't think kane wanted to stay he also wanted to get his surgery which he got to um but i, I have to say especially with the injury to Heedle and uh, capococco now rangers have been playing great um no reason for concern i think they're like i can't remember the record off the top of my head but they have a very good winning record. It's not like they only have one game in the win column. Uh, yeah, it's 19-6-1 as of date of recording. Yeah, I mean, we've only lost six games in regulation the whole season so far. That's, to me, crazy. This is like Boston Bruins numbers from last year. Um, they were a little bit better, I think, by this point. Though I think they only lost like two games or something like that by this point. Yeah, they're right in the President's but, Trophy mix with Vegas and Boston again. Right, so... What concerns me is the president trophy, though, because <laughs> we all know the stat about whoever wins the president's trophy. I think only six or seven teams in NHL history in its over 100 year tenure has won the president's trophy or the top of the league and won the Stanley Cup the same year. So I think it's good that the Rangers lose a couple games, get humbled a little bit and understand that they're just not, you know, unbeatable. Um, but I have to say, a little concerned about Igor Shesterkin. I think Jonathan Quick's been playing out of his mind, and he's been playing a little bit better than him. So, Yeah, and speaking of uh, Quick, before the season here, I talked to a uh, good friend, Christopher Russo, the host of the Sports The Way Group podcast. He's a big hockey guy, and uh, we, went, we talked about the Ranger offseason, which, Pete, you would say was not very flashy. It was a lot of, like, uh, veteran experience. Not at all, yeah. I mean, even the Jonathan Quick signing, I was like, what are we doing? This dude's washed up, you know, like – we always get these guys at the end of their career, you know, same thing like New York Jets, like what is going on? But I have to say, I, I have to take it back. I'm pleasantly surprised about the performance and just how good Jonathan Quick looks in that. Yeah, for sure here. Let's go to uh, Chris Russo. We had a good take on what the moves could mean for the Rangers. So this is for episode 385 and the Stern score was 379 for housekeeping. So here's the date, the Chris Russo on the Ranger offseason, the moves they made. You know, it's funny. I did a, a 
paper. I don't know how well it did, but I did a, a, a paper, I think late in middle school about Moneyball and how one of the things Billy Bean said was one of the best, one of the best things is not necessarily to have, you know, Yankee or now Met level money or, or Dodger level money, or to be the Oakland A's or the Tampa Bay Rays and have a ridiculously low amount of money. What you want to shoot for is something like what St. Louis has, where you're a middle market kind of team and you have a little bit of money, but you don't overspend on guys. You can, you can be able to, to get good talent for, for low prices and draft better. It forces you to do that. And I think having less money kind of forced Chris Drury to work on a shoestring budget. And it actually, I think helped him a lot because he got the kind of guys that the Rangers actually needed. I know you could say that Blake Wheeler, Tyler Pitlick, Eric Gustafson, Nick Benino, they're older guys, and they're not necessarily the most skilled guys, but that's actually what they needed. And so they got guys who are veterans. They also got a lot of guys who are local, which I think is kind of key guys who really want to be there. Guys like Quick, guys like Benino, who are from Connecticut and probably love the Rangers as kids. We know Quick did. And they're cheap. They're very physical and and or they have made deep playoff runs. We saw it with Benino in Pittsburgh. We saw it with Quick, obviously, in Los Angeles. Blake Wheeler has been with a Winnipeg team that has been very, very good for a long time, but just hasn't gotten to the final. And so these are also guys that are just really hungry. So I think it was a great, great offseason for the Rangers. And I think, of course, you know, you talk about Tarasenko and Kane going at the deadline and how hyped up those moves were. I thought Drury had a much better offseason than he did deadline. Yes, I think he first hit the nail on the head with how this team has gone so far. No, absolutely. I I agree 100% that he had a better offseason than deadline. I have to say, Eric Gustafson has been phenomenal on the blue line. Phenomenal. Um, Steal the offseason. Oh, my God. That was that was probably the best offseason pickup was Gustafson. And Benino's doing well, too. Blake Wheeler's doing well. But I think Gustafson and Quick are the, are the ones that stand out to me. Um, and like I said, I think maybe Igor is injured. He's playing through an injury or something. He doesn't look as good as he usually is. And I don't know if it's because... They've been doing the goalie by committee a little bit here because of we see quick is going in a little bit more often. Obviously, on back-to-back games, the backup is going to go in after a start the night before by your starter. But you watch when you watch quick play and you watch Shesterkin play, it just it seems night and day right now. So I'm a little concerned about Igor and if he's playing hurt or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, this Rangers team is definitely exceeding expectations at least in the beginning of this season we'll see what the you know the second third the the, the second two-thirds of the game you know whatever it is excuse me the last two-thirds of the season is but i uh i'm very very excited to see what they're going to do moving forward and and if we get into the playoffs what that looks like yeah for sure here got a couple more clips to go as we wrap up our spot here so obviously we talk about the jets or let's talk about the new york giants a little bit here because everybody at high host the giants they made the playoffs the year before they did not start out particularly well. I mean, this team went two and eight. Although uh, Tommy Cutlass over here has won three straight football games as a recording. I, I I don't even I don't watch the Giants that much, but I've seen so many memes about Tommy Cutlass. Yeah. Uh, second is he backup or third string? He was third string entering the year, right? Because Tyrod Taylor was the backup, correct? Yeah, he then he got the Jet. He got hurt in the Jet game, and they wouldn't let the yeah. Has, throw a pass. has he been doing? Has he been doing well? Devito. Yeah. Yeah, he's been okay. He's been not making mistakes, and he's looked more confident than he did in the Jet game. So. I mean, so so here's the other thing. I've, I I could be completely wrong, so I apologize. Is is what 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 really happened with the Giants, right? Like I feel like we we came off a really big high with the Giants. Daniel Jones got a massive contract this past year, right? And yeah. I were massive for him, probably yeah. for what he deserves. Let's yeah. call it. 
Um, but did like what what happened? I mean, is it an O line issue? Is it a Daniel Jones issue? Oh, I'm glad I'm glad you asked that question because I do have a clip about that because awesome. One of my friends, a big giant fan, he comes on the podcast. He usually has some rants, and uh, he admits they sucked him in after last year. And uh, he shared his thoughts on their disappointment here. So this is from episode 390 here. So this is during our NFL pick segment in Week 10. It's right before the Cowboy game. You know, I've been the ever overly pessimistic, although I would say realistic, Giants fan since for the last several years. For the very first time in probably 10 years, I went into the season optimistic and with hope. I really thought this is the year we've got it. Like we finally have turned our turned the ship around. We've washed away the sins of Gettleman's past. We, we're, we're smooth sailing from here. And then the Giants went and lost 40 to nothing to the Cowboys. And I can't believe I fell for the trap. But this is all, all one of my classic <laughs> random rants, and you ask you a very straightforward question. We have no talent I, 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 on offense. Like I, I, everyone says, Saquon's really covering the, uh, carrying the whole offense. He really hasn't done much. Like, and he has, he really hasn't had the opportunity to do much. But he's not what he used to be, and I think people foolishly still think he is. And our best receiver is probably someone that 99% of casual football fans haven't even heard of. I couldn't, I don't even know who you would say the best receiver is. Best receiver is Jalen Hyatt. Uh, I don't know. Who would you say the Giants' best receiver is? All I know is that I heard preseason that Jalen Hyatt was going to torch Ross Garner for one route, and then that never happened. <laughs> I mean, he, I, I've seen flashes where I could see him being turning into a really good deep threat. It hasn't materialized a lot because the line has been so bad. But also, he really hasn't even been playing that much. Uh, they, they have no the, the the skilled player talent on this team is so barren and pathetic. Darren Waller's good, even of course he's injured now. Um, it's just we have nothing going on. There, we're, there's nothing we're good at. Like it, it's it's just the same sorry state of affairs. Yeah, I think that answered your question pretty well. How they got where they were. Yeah, the only thing I disagree with was Darren Waller being good. <laughs> I I feel like I had him in fantasy and, and for a long time, he wasn't doing anything for me even before he was injured. Um, and that was the extent of what I knew about Darren Waller before I traded him. So my, uh, you know, obviously my, my knowledge when it comes to giants, offensive players is not vast, but I did know that Darren Waller was not producing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, it sucks. If you're a fan of any team, whether it be the giants, the jets, the Rangers, the Islanders, Buffalo Sabre, whatever it is, if your team's not doing well and you were expected to do well, it's a it's a real big letdown. You know, you're fine. You're like, oh my god, we're here. We're gonna we're gonna finally do something. Like we're gonna w- possibly go to the playoffs and win this thing. Like we went one round, two rounds, whatever it was for the Giants last year. This is this is gonna be great. This is our quarterback. We found him, and it's just like it. It's such a. It hurts, right? I mean, as a Jets fan, we all know it all well. I was at the butt fumble game, and I refused to go to a to a game for years after that butt fumble game with Mark Sanchez. So uh, I get it. It sucks. Hopefully. I mean, look, is this even a coaching issue or is it a GM issue because they're not getting the right players in there? I I think it's a little bit. They were left a mess. They're trying to fix it. And I do think they've won three in a row as of recording time. They do. They are still live in the playoff race. They're only one game out. They have a couple of teams in their play directly ahead of them and they play in a few weeks. That'll help here. And, uh, Got a fun timestamp for you for when we're recording this podcast. This is being recorded on Tuesday, December 12th. So this after the Giant Packer Monday night game, the Giants walked off here. And I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, Pete, but uh, this was this was uh, prophesied for years. I did, I did not. 
Can you, can you enlighten me on that? Because sure, I, don't, I, don't I have know. I have a clip to show you from uh, okay. the classic movie coming to America for, uh, brought to us our attention by RG three. So uh, let's go ahead here and uh, play this. Sir, I was wondering, did you happen to catch the professional football contest on television last night? No, I didn't. Oh, it was most exhilarating. The Giants of New York took on the Panthers of Green Bay. And in the end, the Giants triumphed by kicking an oblong ball made of pigskin to a big H. It was a most ripping victory. So, back in 1988, Eddie Murphy called this game. He called this game. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's right there on Twitter. <laughs> RG, you said RG3 was the one that R posted that? RG3 found it. It's crazy. I just thought That's that crazy. it's wild that that came true. It's almost as good as a Back to the Future call in the Cub World Series one year early. Yeah, that was that one was wild. Yeah. That one was really close. Yeah. Um. Maybe maybe they maybe the time travelers. Who knows? Maybe they are here. And uh, I got two more clips to hit here for this this special here. So I know right now I don't know if you're aware of the big playoff controversy of the college football playoff with Florida State because that's been a big topic of late. Yeah, so I mean, I've you've explained a little bit. Uh, Florida State has been was what undefeated, and their their quarterback got hurt, and yes. I guess so. Here's what, so here's what, here's the short version of it. it was uh, yep. they they were cruising to the best team in the ACC. Their quarterback gets hurt with three games left in the regular season. They they struggle with the backup. The backup gets hurt. They have to win the ACC title game with a third stringer. They they're one of three undefeated teams. They win the AC undefeated. They get left out of the playoff because the committee doesn't think that they're going to be capable of competing on the big stage after star. I mean, but there's more than one person on that field. Yeah, it's not just the quarterback. Yeah. So don't, don't be wrong. I understand the quarterback does a lot for your team. We as Jet fans know that, but. I, I, to me, that doesn't seem fair for the rest of the players. Just be like, you can't go in to the to the playoffs because you, some guy got hurt. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, and I think I'll point this out here. Like, I did bring this possibility up with uh, Sporting News' Bill Bender on our pre podcast preview in the uh, conference championship games here. So this is what Bill and I had to say. This is a possibility. We brought this up a couple of days before they we did the uh, – before the games are played, this was a possibility. So let's go to uh, Bill and I from episode 393, I believe. So here we go. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I can see the sentiment behind it. I understand everything you just said. And, you know, I get it that they're, they're rolling with a backup quarterback. The offense didn't look good last week, but they still got the win. And there's a lot of playoff hopefuls that are going to be rooting for Louisville this weekend. I just can't see the committee turning away a five, you know, a power five undefeated team, regardless of how they got there. doesn't matter. They got there. And that's why I think I wouldn't count on them being left out. Yeah. I do think it's a fascinating debate for the committee because this is the first time they've ever really had it in football where, I mean, we see in the basketball tournament where like if a team loses star player, it might get dinged a few seed lines. Whereas this one, there's only four teams in here. If they feel like, Florida State won't be competitive without their quarterback. It'll be interesting to pay for them to have. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, it, it, it will. And I think one of that is when we do the point spread arguments. Like, for example, in this scenario we're talking about, yeah, if Florida State played Georgia, what would the spread be? Probably about 15, 15 and a half. If Texas played them, would they be a lower underdog? Yes. But you have to earn it on the field. And the committee, I just don't see them – they could, I suppose, 
State four, four very best teams and go with Texas. But the ramifications of that and the distrust it would cause with one of its Power Five conferences, I don't know. I just don't see it. Yeah, this is one that I put in the, in the category of like, I just, like something we put in the universe and up manifesting it. And uh, I agree with Bill. I don't like the precedent they set with that. I feel like it's not like the rest of the team's fault with the quarterback I heard. Right. I mean, so quick question were they allowed to play in the playoffs or is this still under review? No, like they were only picked four teams. They were not picked, they were playing in a different bowl so, game. So this was confirmed. They're you not, are not playing in the p- playoff they were supposed to play in. They were not. They did not make the. They were not picked for the playoff. And the committee basically said because the quarterback is hurt, we don't think they, they're one of the best four teams now. I mean, I, I gotta be honest with you. That's bullshit because the playoff should be what your record is and how your team is done. Not I decide if you go because a lot of corruption can happen there. A lot of corruption can happen there. Yeah, and I, I feel like y- you can't say to a team, "Hey, you got to this point, you've earned it, you but lose. now we don't want you here because you don't have your quarterback, so it's not going to be good TV." Yeah, or it's not gonna be a good bowl, or it's not gonna be good. Like, yeah, are, I'm sorry. What I mean, yeah. how many people I like, look at the Rangers in 2014? Rangers had a monster season, pretty much get blown out by the LA Kings in the finals. Do we say, oh, the Rangers are tired, so we're just gonna switch the team that the Kings are gonna play for and play against? No. Yeah, that's one I don't like. I mean, like, what's the point of playing the games if you can win all your games out of a power league? And right. Not go. This literally shows that your performance doesn't matter. No, it matters for like they cared. They chose what they think would be better at TV. And I know the playoffs expanding. So who's next the year. team? Who's the team they picked and what was their record compared to so, Florida? So State? here's the story here. There were three undefeated power conference teams, which was Michigan and Washington got in fully healthy. Texas was the third seed. Alabama was the fourth. They knocked off undefeated Georgia in the SEC. The controversy would have been Texas beat Alabama in the regular season. You can't take Texas, take Alabama over Texas. So they took both of them and let Florida State out. Yeah, to me that's not right. If, if I was a player or a coach or an administrator in Florida State, I would be livid with the committee. committee. Yeah. Livid. Oh, I agree with you. And well, on a positive note here with some hope for 2024, I don't know if you heard, there was a big baseball trade a couple, like last week. I did hear. I did hear. Yeah. So Juan Soto is a Yankee. I'm sure as a Yankee fan, you're excited about this. So as a Yankee fan, I'm excited. I got to be honest with you. I did not know who Juan Soto was until about a week ago. Yeah. So this is, uh, again, Another thing where I probably should be watching more New York sports yeah. um, and understand who's coming to the team. Um, call me a fake fan or whatever, but like I, when the season's on, I watch it and I try to keep track of it. When it's not, I'm I, other teams. I'm very, I'm very bad when it comes to players on other teams unless they're like star players, and that's only for like hockey, with baseball, basketball, football, or excuse me, baseball, basketball. Those are the ones that I kind of lack on football and hockey. I kind of have a sense of what's going on. Yeah, I, I get that sense here as well. But, like, we'll talk about – I had Dan Fabrico on the podcast a couple weeks ago. We reacted to the Juan Soto trade. Here's his thoughts on it. This is our final clip of the episode. So let's listen to Dan talk about Juan, what Juan Soto means for the Yankees. I mean, it, it's an absolute no-brainer move that the Yankees had to make. I mean, they're, they're checking off boxes, uh, you know, in just one move where it's, you know, you need a left-handed bat, a big one at that, check. You need uh, – reassurance in the outfield check you need somebody to uh you know protect Aaron Judge in the lineup or you know whether it's batting in front of him or behind that's something I guess we'll see as we go on and then at the same time you're adding somebody who is the same age as a prospect you called up that you have a lot of high hopes for this past season so I mean it like I said no-brainer um his credentials his his past speaks for itself 
He's been a fantastic player in Major League Baseball. Um, you know, speaking about the health issues right before, I mean, he's somebody who plays in games all the time. I mean, he's somebody who's always on the field, always playing. Um, listen, there's questions about his defense. Um, obviously, uh, he's only under contract for one year. And with Scott Boris as his agent, they're not going to iron anything out until next offseason. Um, but for the 2024 Yankees, which that's as only as far as we can all look ahead to, it's the absolute perfect no-brainer. 100% move. And then when you factor in what they gave up for him, yes, they lost some pieces, but there's no one on there that would have stopped me from making the move. And, you know, even if, even for a one year deal, I think it was a pretty, you know, move that I, I don't want to say a simple ask because they did give up five people for it, but, you know, it was still a move where you, you check everyone off and say, yep, no problem, no problem. I'll give them up for somebody who wants all this caliber. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting to be a Yankee fan because they got a superstar coming here. They're still working on trying to get another one in, in the uh, Japanese pitch, Yamamoto. Yeah, I mean, listen, sometimes, you you know, you have to give up talent to get talent. Nothing's for free in this world, right? So, I mean, like, you know, like your guest had mentioned, you know, you gave up some pieces, but you're getting a top-tier talent, what it sounds like. And, you know, the hype around Juan Soto is real. I've heard his name a bunch of times on the Michael K show, obviously, because Michael K is the announcer for the Yankees. And, uh, you know, I've heard the rumblings about getting Juan Soto, so I know it's a big piece they've added. So, I mean, let, let's see what happens. We have him for a year. That concerns me a little bit. Is this like a bridge deal? Is this a, we're going to have him for a year. We don't win. He goes somewhere else. You know, we don't know yet, obviously, because if, if what your guest said about the manager is correct, we're not going to know until how this season goes. So if this season's a bust, he may walk in a, you know, one of those failures, right. In sports where you got him, it didn't work out and he leaves. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm excited. I want to see another Yankees championship. I've been fortunate enough to see a Yankees championship. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll see how the season goes. Yeah, the interesting to see here, obviously, in light of Shohei Otani getting all that money, Lonzo's price tag has went up. Yeah, and also, too, I, I was finding interesting about Otani's contract. It's about $2 million a year, and then the other, like, $600 million is deferred. Oh, don't, for... don't get me started on that. <laughs> oh, man. It's, 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 uh, what, who's, the, who's the guy in the Mets that's still getting paid to this day? Oh, Bobby Bonilla. Bobby, they're gonna have they're gonna have Shohei Otani day, where just every every year he's gonna get paid a sixty eight million bucks for ten years. Yeah. Uh, it's that's crazy. That's yeah. absolutely crazy. Yeah, I'm not gonna go back to that rabbit hole again. I did a few weeks ago on the podcast, but Pete, thanks for taking the time to join me. If people want to follow you on social media, how can they do that? At Consi twenty nine on Twitter, C O N S Y twenty nine. In the background, I'm using AP Tyler three hundred eight from Reddit. So give them a check. Absolutely here, and keep if you want to check out, what we're doing the Sky Guys podcast feed this week. We're actually reviewing the documentary about the holiday special that they released a couple of weeks ago, and I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, is that that was the ones one of the ones I missed, right? No, like we're like that's what I'm like we're recording in the future before. So this is oh right, right, okay, good. I just I have my my scheduling all messed up. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's gonna be a good one. I'm yeah. excited for it. Absolutely, Pete. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Show me the money. Show me the money NFL picks for week 17 here on the podcast. Joining me today to break it all down here and on video for the first time on this podcast, uh, Joey Castellano is here. Joey, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? Thanks for having me. Pretty good. Good to have you on here. I'm looking forward to it. Took us a little bit off air here. A week where we can actually t- actually talk about the watch the football more because I think you and I are both in agreement. Football, full slate football, Chris, even Christmas is hard. 
Yeah, I mean, I always looked at it as like, oh, Christmas football, that's awesome. But honestly, I hate it. I barely was able to watch some of it. Um, Christmas Day, I was able to watch a little more. But, you know, the main slate on Christmas Eve, you got you're with family around the table. It's hard to like keep track of. But and I have fantasy playoffs going on and everything. So, yeah, it was uh, it's kind of annoying, actually. Yeah, because I know, I think prior to the week, you know, Mike Frances on his pocket may be like, oh, like Cowboys Dolph is the best game of the day. Nobody's able to see it because everybody's eating Christmas dinner at 430, <laughs> and he's right. Yeah, I, I caught, you know, drips and drabs of it. I wasn't really able to watch it in full. I mean, I was, like, checking up on the score every, like, 10 minutes. But, yeah, you're just sitting around the table talking to family, and then my house, I got the little kids turning the change of the channel and stuff. I'm, I'm like, I can put the game back on. I need, I need to watch this. Yeah. But, yeah, it's uh, – Definitely not as good as when you know a normal football Sunday when you're just sitting there kind of watching. But yeah, I think unless you're like a complete asshole, you can maybe get away with one game on a full Christmas Eve. You can't get away with that everything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was able to. That's my excuse for the Viking game. You know, the Vikings are on. Like, give me my like hour to watch football, but then I'll then I'll be like you know in and out all day. So, but I kind of wish I was in and out during that game last Sunday. So <laughs> yeah, we got to talk about that game as well. I mean, obviously, like. Vikings are were playing to stay alive and they lose to the Lions. Detroit wins the division for the first time in 30 years here. Vikings had a chance to win it, but Nick Mullins throws the pick on the minute they go. Here's a big takeaway from that game. Well, first of all, sorry, isn't that wild? The Lions <laughs> haven't won the division since 93. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was the central division. The Bucks were in it. Like yeah. They haven't won it since it's been the North, and that's like 10 years prior to the yeah. merger, too. So, I mean, that that's wild. But, um, yeah, it's... Uh, I don't even know where to start with them. It's just been a wild year to say the least, you know, somehow they're still in the playoff race. They've switched through like four quarterbacks. Each one throws four picks a game. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's, you know, finally we have a good, like a defense is playing well. And then we have, you know, return the ball over left and right. And then the few times, like in the Bengal game, a few weeks ago, they decide to get the offense moving. And then all of a sudden the defense lets up three touchdowns in a row. So it's like, it's just been one of those years. It's just been hard to, you know, it's been hard to even just like, like, where are we? <laughs> it's like every day, every game is like, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and then injury bug and everything. I mean, this game the other day was just, you know, mulling through four picks. Somehow we're still in the game. Jeff, Justin Jefferson just and different breed um, keeping us in it really. Um, and the defense, you know, played all right. And, just can't pull it out late. It's like, you know, normal uh, situation in Minnesota. Yeah, it's, I, I feel like we've had that happen a lot the last few years. And if, before we go on to the playoffs here, I think, no, in Detroit here, like, this is the first time Ford Fields hosted a playoff game. I think it's been open for almost like 15, yeah. almost 20 years. It's wild. I know. I mean, they haven't won the division, so they haven't been able to host a game. Yeah, that's definitely a problem here. And when, when you have a scenario like that and the game just, you know, goes out and, uh, I think in terms of that, we're going to – Joey's having some audio issues here. I'm going to take a look at that here in the post. I don't see saw of a year. I mean, uh, kudos to the Vikings for still being in the race, even though if they lost Kirk Cousins, they had Jefferson gone for seven games. But uh, it's it's been pretty annoying, to be honest with you. Yeah, in terms of the playoff picture here with the Vikings, I do want to take a look at this here because obviously right now they are in the eighth position. They're seven and eight. They have tiebreakers right now over Atlanta and the Packers on head-to-head and the Saints – are behind them both here, but like they need to win basically both their games here and have either Seattle or the Rams lose a game down the stretch here. Like how are you feel about the Viking playoff chances right now? 
I feel like I'm like seesaw on back and forth my my thing because it's just the way it's been this year. Like one moment I'm bashing and the next moment I'm like, oh, they still could get in the playoffs. So my picks are gonna correlate to that. But um yeah, I I the Viking I guess scenario is that they they're gonna hundred percent win on Sunday to make the last game matter. And then then you get your knees kicked out. Uh that's probably what will happen. Um so I mean I I do think I mean, who knows? Well, the Lions, I don't know what the situation might be in two weeks, but they might bench starters. I mean, uh, I don't I don't know. They could have it wrapped up or they could be trying for like a two seed. I mean, I don't think they're gonna get the one, but um actually now they might be tied, or I don't know. Yeah, I'll pull, I, I'll pull the picture picture up here. So yeah, I haven't it, seen since yesterday with the loss of the Niners. I haven't really yeah. checked. Yeah, I'm checking. Um, yeah, I'll have the end. I'll put it up on the screen for people who are watching the video version here. The NFC playoff picture here. So just for make it relevant, there's a lot of interconnected things going on here. So right now they are a three way tie the Lions with the Niners and Eagles for the top oh, C. So they are tied. Oh, so this Cowboys game's huge. I yeah. mean. Yeah, they right, so they're probably gonna be playing both games. Um, I was thinking, I was hoping that like they got locked up like the three seed or something, and then they, they would sit their starters for the Vikings if the Vikings happen to beat Green Bay. But who yeah. knows? It's a division rival anyway. They might not even. They wouldn't probably even do that anyway. Yeah, um, the, yeah. Detroit wins that. Detroit loses that game to Dallas, and remember, Dallas is seven zero at home this year. Like if they lose that game, like they're basically locked out of the one unless like either the 49ers or Eagles lose twice which I think is very unlikely given the schedules these teams have here. So there's a chance here they're kind of locked into three by the time yeah. they get to week 18. Yeah, they potentially could be locked. I mean, I don't know what happens. Like, they could be trying for a two seed if the ones – I don't know. I mean, they'll probably just play anyway, Stan Campbell. But, um, I, I mean, I think they could beat the Lions. I don't think it's, like, out of the – they should. They were close the other day. It's just, yeah. you know – they actually got down within striking range of the end zone. I mean, Mullen just threw a balloon ball, whatever. Um, he just hasn't been. I I I just look at it like, why not start the rookie last two weeks? Jaron Hall, the fifth round pick. Yeah. Um, I don't see why not. I mean, Mullins has turned it over like eight times in the last two games. Dobbs is doing the same. Uh, they both. I mean, I think Mullins runs the offense a little bit better. But at this point, it's like, what's the point? We got to win the next two and see what happens. Yeah, why not? Yeah, and look at the, uh, I my my conspiracy is that I don't I don't think they want to put Hall in because yeah. I think their ultimate goal is to bring back her cousins next yeah. year. So I think that's the plan. I mean, whatever. Yeah, and look at the two teams ahead of them too. They, they each have one tricky game left in their schedule. Here, the Rams do go to San Francisco weeks eighteen and. The Niners couldn't need that game, so that's something you would be rooting for if you're a Viking fan, is that the Rams need to play that out. Four Niners need to play that out here. And the Seahawks scenario, the Seahawks play Pittsburgh this week, and Pittsburgh is a tough team. So, like, there's a realistic possibility both those teams lose one game, and then the Vikings win both. They might have a conference tiebreaker edge on them. Yeah, I mean, we need help now, and I... The Rams, it's like that's what I'm nervous about. I'm like, <laughs> that's why I was rooting for the Ravens last night. I was like, we need to make sure the Niners don't lock up this one seed because then the Rams will have to play them at the end of the year. Um, Seahawks, I mean, Pittsburgh, I, just, I mean, they looked really good the other day versus the Bengals at home. Um, is the Seahawks Steelers game? I think it's in Seattle, I, right? It is, or I believe. Is it, I believe it's in Seattle. Yeah. I mean, oh. I think Seahawks are probably in the next two games, unfortunately. Um, 
And then, yeah, I guess that Ram, that Rams Niners game is going to be a big deal. That might potentially end up being the one difference. I mean, I could I could just see the Vikings winning the next two games, and then them winning the next two, and then they don't get it anyway. But it's just usually how it rolls with the Vikings. Yeah, and one thing we know for sure here is that that Packer Viking game Sunday night here is the last game of week seventeen. Is a basically you lose this game, you're out for either team here. So like. What's, yeah. Minnesota won the first time. They played 24-10 back in Week 7, but Kirk Cousins started that game before he got hurt here. How do you think the, this goes here for the uh, Vikings on Sunday? What do they have to do to win this game? Um, Not turn the ball over. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what the whole season's been is, you know, they're in games. Their defense is holding the other team, you know, in check, and the Vikings turn it over. Um, It's just a lot of mental, you know, like Mullins is just – it seems like every game – if he's about the last two games, at least he was about to get, you know, sacked and he just like chucking it up, like literally five feet in the air. It's, it's hold on to the ball and just take the sack at this point. Stop turning the ball over. Um, he is a little gutsy, like he's a little gunslinger. So I do kind of like it, but at the same time, you know, we're turning the ball over a lot. So I think that's the main thing. I mean, the whole season has been turning the ball over. Um, they have to lead the league and turn over to front differential. I'm pretty sure. Um, they, I don't know. I, I feel like the defense is finally doing well. Like last year was the opposite. You know, Vikings offense is putting up 30 points a game, but their defense is letting up 30 points a game. So now it's the opposite. Now the defense is actually playing well, and the Vikings are turning the, the offense is turning the ball back to the defense a lot. Um, I mean, it seems like they had four picks the other day. It seems almost every game they have like four turnovers. And it's like, how are you going to win a game when you turn over the ball four times? And the scary part is that they're losing by less than a touchdown in every game. So, I mean, if you just take the Vikings gambling perspective, you take the Vikings plus eight, you tease them up plus eight, or if the other team's getting points, you tease them plus eight, you're guaranteed a lock. So. Yeah, that's certainly a problem here. I did look at the turnover numbers while you were talking here that the, uh, the Vikings are second worst, are tied for third, are they third worst in the league in terms of margin. They are at minus nine. Only the Chiefs and the Commanders are worse at minus ten. Yeah, well, yeah, the Chiefs have been weird this year too. They're not, they're not looking like the Chiefs of the last few years. Seem beatable, very beatable. Yeah, um, I actually personally don't think they're that good, but yeah, that makes sense though. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess they're turning the ball over a lot too. I think. Last few weeks, I don't know, because I, I think the Vikings got a few turnovers themselves. Like I, I know in the Raiders game, they turned it over, I guess, more on defense than they did on offense, was why we won 3 nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's down at 3 nothing. But, um, but, yeah, no, I think the biggest thing with the Vikings has been turnovers and just that both sides don't click at the same time, it feels like. Yeah, and the positive thing you have also is that the Packer defense is a trend, absolutely ferocious, a trend this, whatever – Whatever word you want to uh, say with them, that's their that's their defense here, and that's a big positive, especially when the Vikings might be down a couple of key guys on offense. Yeah, they just lost Hawkinson. I think he tore his ACL. I saw yeah. this morning, um, so we lost him now too. It's just like this year is just every everyone just you know it seems like every, around the league it seems like this, but yeah, the Vikings have just been getting the injury bug pretty bad this year. Um, yeah, they they lost Hawkinson. They lost. Um, DJ Wanham, one of the defensive ends, he's great. He's having a great year. He's done for the year, I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a tough year, <laughs> injury wise. Yep. Let's also get to the pick. The reason why you're here, our good buddy Nick Franda was here last week doing the picks, and uh, he went 
one and two on the week. You had the Niners laying the points on Monday night. They got their asses kicked, so that was a bad one. You had the Colts getting a point and a half on the road against the uh, Falcons. They lose that game, and then and then he had the uh, the Dolphins laying the point and a half against the Cowboys. It's the late field goal to cover that one there. So one and two for Nick last week. Yeah, we actually talked about these picks. I mean, we were going over it like on a Tuesday, like we are today, and. It's always hard to gauge. Like sometimes you might be on that pick, and then a week later, uh, like by the Sunday hits, and you're on the other side. Um, but yeah, one and two, and then mine was not that good. I went oh and three. Wrong week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had the Broncos like six and a half. They decided not to show up for most of that game, and ended up losing outright to the Patriots, which is bizarre. Jags getting a point yeah. and a half. I thought, thought was good, and then obviously Trevor Lawrence here, and then. Down here at the bottom, the freaking Jets, who I thought, I was like, I texted Nick at like 1.30, like, that's the lock of the week here. And then they give the whole game back, and then I get the, they they come, they don't even cover as they went on the Zerline field goal and win by two. So that's a bad well, one. You know, you know, what's funny is like, they still won the game. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't cover the three. And it's like, did you even want them to win the game? And that, I'm like, I don't really care at this point because I know like that they're, they're not taking a quarterback there. So it's like, whatever, they're going to figure something out here. But like, True. They gave you the worst case scenario here. They 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 won. They didn't cover. Yeah, I, that's <laughs> classic. Yeah. So um, I actually think. Uh, yeah. What, what are you What are you going to tank for an offensive line? You don't need a. I don't think you need like one of the top picks for because you're not going to get a quarterback anyway, right? Rogers says yeah. he's coming back for another two years or something. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that you're looking at if you get down to like the four range is. You're guaranteed probably the top tackle on the board or Marvin Harrison Jr. if you fall. So like those are probably the two things you're looking at. Yeah. The Jets. Marvin Harrison Jr. That'd be that'd be awesome. But I mean, what are the what do you think the Jets should get? Offensive lineman, like many yeah. of them as you can. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So on so on the year, the challenge team is 25 and 23. I'm 24, 23. When I started hot, I've been cooling off of late. So it's very tight down the stretch here, but. We'll do some picks now. Joey, as the guest, you can go first. So where are you going with pick number one? All right. So pick number one, I'm going to take the Rams minus six and a half versus the G-Men. Um, kind of correlate with the Vikings. Like I said, I, I just kind of feel like the Vikings will somehow win both games to keep me, you know, in it. Um, and the Rams, I think, will uh, prop. I think they're definitely going to beat the Giants. Giants have been looking better. You know, they held the Eagles pretty good yesterday. It was a good game for a while. Um, Tyrod Taylor, who knows how it's gonna come, how it's gonna look, but uh, I definitely think the Rams are gonna win. I'll take the six and a half. Um, yeah, and if it doesn't happen, I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Here for me, I feel like the Giants gave you the big effort on Christmas. Here they have a short week, but the Rams have the full week to practice here. And for me, like. I don't know if the Giants are going to care much about this game. I feel like they're more amped up to try and stop the Eagles in Week 18. I think this might be one where they kind of, you know, take the foot off the gas here and lose by double this. Keep ramping needs it more. That's kind of how I feel. And I also feel like the Rams last, like, month, two months, they just, you know, started to turn it up. I feel like they're hitting stride at the right time. So um, I think they should be able to win by seven. And like we said, who knows how into it the Giants are going to be. Yeah, for sure. Here we go with pick two. I'm going to take the Tampa Bucks. Um, Vikings need this game for the Bucks to win because they lost the Bucks earlier in the year. And that's why I'm just correlating everything with the Vikings. Um, so they lost the Bucks earlier in the year. It's less than a field goal. They're at home. I mean, they 
Not that it means anything, but you know, two months ago they killed this team in New Orleans. Um, so I think Bucks minus two and a half versus the Saints. Um, if the Saints get back into it, then you know it's fine because the Vikings beat them earlier in the year. But we want the Bucks to win the division to keep them out of the picture of tiebreakers and stuff like that. So um, we'll take the Bucks minus two and a half. Yeah, I like that pick too. But I mean, like. Baker Mayfield is playing very well here. I think Tampa's the only team at the division actually playing well. I think they could win a playoff game here. I think they take care of business here against the Saints. Why have they saying they're overrated all year long? Yeah, they looked very good the last few weeks also, so I feel like that carry that over versus, I don't know, I think the Saints are kind of, what's the word? They're not like fraud. Like they, they were good in the beginning of the year. I feel like kind of, you know, the dark cars aren't that good, I feel like. And, yeah, know, they're a little over. They were a little overrated. I don't know what people think of them now, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the number of total for them preseason was nine and a half, which is way too high. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. So that's very high. I, yeah, I think the Bucks should be able to win the division. Um, I think they look a lot better lately too. So, all right. So that's pick two. We're going to pick three. How do I come on here? Not like <laughs> I have to. I have to. Um, so taking the Vikings minus one and a half. Like I said earlier, a couple times already, they're gonna win this game to keep me alive for another week. If they don't cover this one and a half, honestly, whatever, let's pack it up a week early, which is fine. Um, but I mean, this is, they're at home. They just lost the lines at home. You know, you're gonna lose two division games at home in a row. Like, you don't deserve to make the playoffs. So I'll take the one and a half. I'll see if the season goes on another week. Um, I. Personally, I think they should win, um, but yeah, I mean, they lost Hawkinson. There's a couple injury concerns now, and I don't know, the Packers haven't looked too good themselves. I mean, they, they beat the Panthers this week, and before that, they looked horrible. They Two very winnable games. They should have been they should have been in the spot, the wildfire spot right now with, you know, they lost the Giants and um, the game after they lost, they lost someone else who was a very winnable game also. Oh, they lost the Bucks at home. Um, they got killed by the Bucks at home. It wasn't even close. Yeah, I like that pick as well here. And I do feel like if you're betting the game here, take the team, the home team laying less than a field goal. I think that's probably the way to go with this game. And Tampa here, I mean, the Vikings here, they have Jaron Hall back. I mean, they're not going to have Jaron Hall. They have uh, Mullins under center. They have some defensive issues. I like, I do think that they think they the green by defense. I like letting less than a field goal home with them. Yeah, I... <laughs> I just want them to start the rookie at this point. Why not? But like I said, I don't know. I think the plans keep Kirk Cousins. If this kid comes out and, you know, brings them through a playoff run, then it's going to create a controversy. But I think they're set on, they, I think they want Cousins back. He's a big locker room guy. The team loves him. So um, probably Mullins. And let's just hope he doesn't turn the ball over four more times. So maybe we could win the game. All right, you're on the board. I'm up now. Pick number one. I'm going to go to Saturday here. I'm going to take the Cowboys laying six and a half at home against the Lions here. I do think that this is a spot where Dallas is dominating at home. They've won 15 straight games at home. They have to last. They usually win by double digits at home. Detroit, I think, is not as good as their record indicates. I think they are still a solid playoff team. But I think going on the road to Dallas is tough. Dallas coming off a brutal loss here. I'm like, they have to win to keep their NFC East hopes alive here. I think Dallas finds a way to make a big statement here and beats the Lions badly. So I'll take the Cowboys pick one. I like it. I actually thought that the spread at, like, what is it, six? Six, six and, and, and a half. half? Yeah. I thought it was going to be, what, you know, three, four, maybe? Uh, that seems kind of high. I mean, yeah. I don't know, maybe. It seems pretty high, but hey, I like it. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, that's pick number one here. Pick number two, the only underdog on the board for either of us here. I'm taking the Patriots getting 11 and a half points in Buffalo against the Bills here. I know this doesn't make much sense here because the Bills have played dominant football. They've won a lot of games of late here, but I think a couple things I fag here. Number one, New England has not quit down the stretch. They proved me wrong the last few weeks. They have tried hard. They beat the Steelers. They beat the uh, Bronc. They beat the Broncos. They could have. They were in the Chief game for a little bit before they gave up that win here. I think this is a look at spot for Buffalo. Now they stabilize a little bit. They see Miami Week 18 and say, "Oh, they win the division here." I don't think the Patriots win this game, but 11 and a half is a lot. I think this game is much closer than people think it will be. So I'll take the points in New England pick too. Yeah, I mean that's a lot of points. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of points. Yeah, everyone. I think the you know the Bills, the Buffalo bandwagons, you know everyone's jumping on now. Like, um, but yeah, that's a lot of points. I could see it being like a backdoor cover. I think Buffalo should you know control it, but you know too many points. I feel like. Yeah, that's pick number two here, and pick number three here. 49ers are bouncing back in a huge way here. They're going on the road against the Commanders, who did not try the first half of that jet game. They have quarterback questions here. I'm laying 13 and a half points here, but 49ers have always done well going east. I think that they know that they have to win big to get themselves back in control of that uh, NFC number one seed scenario here. Washington, don't think they care about this game. We saw that in the Jet game. The reason they got back in was because Brissett actually playing for his job next year. I don't know if they're going to go back to Howell or not here, but I'll lay with two touchdowns. I think the 49ers are going to win. Even if they play Sam Darnold, I think they still win by two touchdowns. Even the Niners last pick. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm The little bit I watched last night, I don't think Sam Darnold came in too bad. Like, definitely control the offense. I mean, this should be a college football spread, right? It should be like yeah. minus 28. Like, yeah. how are the Niners not going to – I feel like they're going to come out and win like 50 nothing. Yeah, so to reset the picks of the week here, Joey's taking the Rams, laying six and a half in New York against the Giants. The Bucks laying two and a half against the New Orleans Saints at home. The Vikings laying one and a half at home against the Packers on Sunday Night Football to wrap up the week. My picks, Cowboys laying six and a half against the Lions at home. The Pats getting 11 and a half in Buffalo. And the Niners laying 13 and a half, laying the big one with them again against the... Uh, Washington Commanders, those are your picks for week 17 on the podcast. And coming up next week to wrap up the regular season here, making his debut on the, on the Justin the Suffering podcast proper, another one of our teammates on the Hitman, Joe Simone, is coming on to do picks. Oh, Simone. Yeah. It's going to Buffalo. That's Buffalo. Buffalo hard. Yeah. Kristen, his wife's a big Buffalo fan. Yeah, so we'll see if he picks the Bills next week. That'll be definitely fun to watch. <laughs> Yeah, but Joe, well, he's actually a Giants fan, but yeah, there might be, um, there could be some Buffalo loyal, flavor in there. Uh, big Buffalo fan. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Joe, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Happy holidays, sir. You too. Happy holidays. The Two Minute Drill. All right, two-minute drill time here. We're going to talk some college football playoff here. The next big event on the sports calendar, New Year's Day. If all the college football bowl games, the semifinal matchup as well, the college football playoff. First big game, the Rose Bowl matchup at five o'clock between number one Michigan, number four Alabama. Controversy got over, over in over Florida State in this slot here. We're not gonna go back and rehash this situation here, but let's look at this game. There may not be a team higher in the country in Alabama, and the Wolverines know it. We saw the video of Michigan learning they're gonna play Alabama on Selection Sunday, and they were not thrilled about this. The spread of this game is just two points. That tells you a lot. That this, Alabama's a very, very live underdog here. Jim Harbaugh's Wolverines come up small in the path in the past. Remember last year in TCU, upset them, and then went out to get blown out by George in the title game. 
They were double defenders in that game. It'll be interesting here with Michigan to see the Wolverines step on the plate. And a big spot against a team more capable of beating them. They've had an Ohio State's number the past few years, but when you get out of the Big Ten, they have not done as well. So we'll see if the Wolverines are ready to go here. Other semifinal matchup comes at the Sugar Bowl at, at 8.30. Washington takes on Texas in the 2-3 matchup here. The Longhorns are favoring this matchup, which is interesting here, and the total is massive at 6.3.5 points. Vegas clearly expecting fireworks in this game. The Ozmakers clearly believe that Texas weapons are better than Washington's. Angle I like this game here. This is the last shot for the Pac-12 to make a real impact in the college football world as the membership sort of moves on to other leagues after this year, thanks to all the realignment. Washington State and Oregon State are left to uphold the brand. They are playing to be independent in football the next couple of years, trying to rebuild the league. They have a sort of affiliate agreement with the Mountain West to play six games against those teams. They Their other sports going to the WCC for a couple of years outside of baseball, which is independent. The league's not going to be the same again. No matter who Washington State and Oregon State grab, it is not going to be as strong as the league was historically. Obviously, starting to have a chip on the shoulder as well. They look to prove they belong as the second best team in the country. It's a fun doubleheader on New Year's Day to determine who plays the national championship on January 8th in Houston. So, fun stuff ahead here, I want to think. With that, I want to wrap the show for the week. I have my guest, Pete Constantori, for going through the year in review on the podcast. A lot of fun stuff. Also, I think Joey Castellano during Week 17 NFL picks. I apologize for some of the audio issues here. Zoom was a little laggy when we recorded this, but still think you should have a lot of fun from that segment. I always like this podcast. It's going to be my look at how Aaron Rodgers is the Jets' new owner here, and he has certainly weighed in and made his voice known about what he wants the direction of the franchise to be for the next year at least. Check out the blog over justinsuffering.wordpress.com. Check out the Sky Guys podcast as well. We are recapping the documentary of the stories in the Force this week. That is the documentary re- recapping the 1970 holiday special, how it was made and what went wrong with it. If you want that good stuff, subscribe to the Sky Guys podcast, same podcast platform at the top of the show. So follow me on social media, mphilips331, it's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. That's going to do it for us here on the podcast. Coming up next week here, we're going to array for Week 18 of the NFL season, preview the college football playoff final, and more. Until then, have a happy new year, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.